0: As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
1: This podcast is part of the How We Are Network. For information on this episode and many other like-minded shows, visit howweare.org. That's H-O-W-W-E-A-R-E dot O-R-G.
3: Greetings and salutations, everybody. You are listening to 100 Words or Less, the podcast, and I am your host, Ray Harkins. Eternally grateful for you hanging out with us, with me, and with my guest this afternoon, evening, whenever you are listening to it. I'm recording this on the morning of June 20th, which is actually the day that I go to Warp Tour. For those of you that don't know what Warp Tour is, first of all, get out from under that rock. I, I think this is my, I want to say, 14th or 15th year in a row. It's one of those things where every year I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, maybe there's not a reason for me to be there in regards to my professional working life. And there always is. There's always a reason to be there. Honestly, at the end of the day, I enjoy it. It's fun. It's fun to be able to see some friends all kind of in a concentrated area. Granted, it's usually hot as hell. Today I'm going to Pomona, which is going to be, I think, in the mid to high 80s. So I need to put some sunscreen on and make sure I don't die. If you are sweating in the sun currently as you are listening to this, I empathize with you. I feel what you are going through because I am going through that today. The guest this week is Sean Ingram. He is the vocalist for a band called Coalesce, which if you have not been listening to in June, I have been having people on the show that I define as legendary luminaries, people who are highly influential within the context of independent music, and more specifically, punk, hardcore, whatever you want to call it. Let's get some business out of the way first, and then we will talk about Sean and Coalesce and how awesome that's, that that band is and how great of a dude he is. Anyways, so for those of you that paid attention to the month of May, it was a huge fun drive. Uh, I defined it as successful. I mean, if someone gave $5, I would have been like, cool, that's successful. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Granted, I had high expectations, and yeah, honestly, those weren't met, but I was shooting for the stars. Uh, I'm glad that we landed on the moon. So I'm very, very pleased to thank some of these people. Jacob Ray, he is a person who donated so graciously to the show at a contributing rate of, uh I can't remember how much, because that's irrelevant, but he said, every month, I will be giving you this money, and I really, really Really appreciate that. So thank you, Jacob. Trevor Barrett. Barrett, Uh, I'm butchering your last name, and I apologize. But uh, you've been interacting with the show a lot recently, and I am pumped on Facebook, on Twitter. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Thank you for giving a crap about what is being put out there. And, uh, yeah, for those of you that are also interested, the donation link is on the right side of the page of the website, 100wordspodcast.com. I put up a donate button for people who are just like, hey, I can't give you money each month, but I just want to give you like a lump sum donation. No joke. And this is someone I would be thanking in a later episode. Someone gave $100. I couldn't even believe that someone would do that. It's just, I don't know, it gives me warm fuzzies because after all, this thing is free. And you vote with your dollar. So basically what I'm saying is that so if you are deciding to go to a movie, that is you investing in that movie. As much as you might not think that, oh, just whatever, I'm paying to see a movie, I'm doing something. But that is a choice. And so for people who give money to this show in order to make it better. I'm internally grateful. Donate is all I'm saying. There's an option for those of you who are like, I, I can't do this every month. Visit 100wordspodcast.com. Check out the right side of the page. And there's buttons. There's a button you can donate. Super simple. Propertyofzac.com, Great media partners. Visit them. Review the show. Visit the website as well. And you can see, the, I, I think I put up a link somewhere where you can review the show. But regardless, go to iTunes. You can drop some stars, say some nice things. People have been doing that recently. And I love to get that feedback. And it's really nice because people, generally speaking, leave us the show five stars, and that's awesome. So the more rankings that we get, the more professional we look. The easier it is for guests to understand that oh, oh, this thing's legit. It's not just like some, you know, it's not just Ray doing this little cute thing in the corner by himself. So, anyways, that is that is the thing. So do that and email the show one hundred words podcast at gmail.com. I've been having a lot of great discussions about guests and. Just other random topics of conversation. I don't care when you listen to these episodes. Like, I got an email from someone who was, like, apologetic that they are listening to an episode that got released in February. I'm like, I don't give a shit. It's awesome. Like, whatever I said back then is more likely than not still relevant, still talkaboutable. Don't feel bashful. If you're listening to this months and months, even years after the fact, email the show. It's fine. I'll be doing this forever. Hopefully. Maybe. So, Sean Ingram. Like I said, the vocalist for the band Coalesce and Coalesce, there's a kind of a Mount Rushmore as far as like sort of metallic hardcore bands are concerned. And honestly, they Coalesce would probably belong on there. It like Converge is another band, Dillinger Escape Plan, arguably so. And then they're all like you can go a million different directions with it. But anyways, but Coalesce and Converge, I mean, those are like absolutely monumental bands that pushed the boundaries of what hardcore and metal were. And especially Sean Ingram, like his voice is so distinctive and what he did with that and the band just really, um, you know, it it was challenging in so many respects. Like I remember not understanding Coalesce for a long period of time. Like I remember getting Give Them Rope, which is a seminal release from them. And I just, I listened to it and I was like, I don't get it, man. And this is when I was maybe about 17. 18 years old maybe, so I just didn't, it could not compute. Uh, later on, I got into them, and after I saw them live, I was like, okay, I really get what they are doing. But Sean has uh, started a successful business. He runs a company called Blue Collar Distro. They do a lot of online merch stores. They print a lot of merch and other goodies for bands and comedians, and he's, he's been able to parlay his knowledge within the context of his band into a career, which is awesome. So he decided to take some time out of the day, speak to me over Skype, and, uh, yeah, just couldn't, couldn't be more, I, guess, I mean, I hate to say down to earth because like, I didn't expect him to be anything but that. But, uh, yeah, he just says something really compelling that kind of hit me towards the tail end of our interview. So listen to that, see if you can pick up on that, and I will talk to you after we are done. So uh, I want to say it was. Uh, let's see, let's let's take you back to uh, 1998. I want to say, okay. I I think that is when you guys were touring with uh, Today Is the Day, and you played Showcase Theater in Corona, California. Here, because I'm, I'm based in, based in Southern California. So I ditched out on a biology final. Uh, but when I say ditched out, I mean like I didn't study for it. I didn't care about it because you guys were playing. What Today Is the Day, and that was my first time because I. The, the, the couple times before when you guys came through, and I, I think you played Coos Cafe before that.
1: Yeah, I, I remember that.
3: Yeah, it was, I had just missed starting getting into music by a year or two. I wasn't a metal kid, I was a hardcore kid. And so, like, showing up at Today is the Day show, being like, huh, this is weird. Like, what's happening with. Uh, I mean, I, I, I see the reason why Coalesce is touring with a band that is heavy and loud but i was that was like one of the first shows where i distinctly remember being like huh there's two types of people that go to shows like i could see the the kind of hardcore kids and i could kind of see the, the the metal kids yeah yeah <laughs> cuz you guys never really in my mind, and I mean, t- correct me if I'm wrong, you guys never really made that full uh, full quote-unquote crossover to where, yeah, you picked up, I'm sure, a few people from doing tours like that, but... That stuff all happened
1: way after us. Just the notion that you could be in a band like Coal um and make a living at it, it was just so absurd at the time, so when, like, after 99, and we started seeing other bands, like, on TV and stuff, MTV, and things like that, we, it just kind of blew our minds that um, someone was able to to monetize it because in our mind you know that that kind of music would never be monetized so that was you know never the goal you just did it because you love it um as far as like the full crossover thing our whole thing was like especially with our splits and everything we just always wanted to be associated with all sorts of people i mean that's why we did a split with get up kids gosh there's another i can't remember the name man off the hand but the it was on Hydra Head Records.
3: Boy Sets Fire. Yeah, Boy Sets
1: Fire. Sorry. <laughs> That's terrible. I can't remember the band's name. But we did split with them, but we also did a split with Napalm Death. So, like, to us, we just, we wanted to be associated with, like, all sorts of different things. To us, like, I think music, the, like, the whole hardcore scene, like, the straight edge hardcore scene, and that type of stuff. That wasn't us, and that wasn't where we came from as a band. I mean, I was, I came from that, but... Uh, but the other guys did not, you know, so I think they always wanted to be known more as like a like an AMREP type band uh-huh. rather than the type of like hardcore and metal that we got into, or I guess what people associate us with and such. But as far as like seeing the, the different groups of people, yeah, I think we did towards the end there, but um, I mean, you have to realize it's like, you know, 20, maybe 100 people would come out to those shows back then, you That's know what true. I mean? So it's like, we're happy to see any people, right. you know? So it, it didn't, you know what I mean? Yeah, no. That, <laughs> that was like, that was like kind of towards when, um, uh, it was kind of like, you know, towards like, you know, the chicks up front thing was happening at that time and everything, you know, the red right girls, and all that type of stuff. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think back then, I think people were more vocal about wanting to see girls at shows rather than like, the type of scene you were from, you know what I mean? It's like uh, it wasn't open form, and everyone was welcome. So, um, but but I do know what you're talking about. But I think that all totally happened after us, because see, we broke up in what '99, uh-huh. and then did something in '02. And from '99 to 02 was the difference between you know, like $50 a show to multiple thousand dollars a show because the scene had just exploded. It was just wide open. Unfortunately, we missed, like, a lot of the, like, the the, the bigger shows and the hype and the stuff like that. However, we did get to play that amazing vest um, that Scion put on. Yeah. And, and, and Atlanta, which is, like, one of the most insane things ever. They, like, flew all these totally weird death metal, metal bands and, like, like, from who knows God knows where they put these people in.
3: Yeah, no, I actually, I, <clears throat> I flew out to that. I saw you guys at that. and because fun.
1: Yeah, that was like an amazing show and there was so much going on. But like I remember right before our show, uh, I went to go use the restroom and there was some band that like I know they signed and spent thousands of dollars getting these guys over there. And there were seriously like 10 people watching them because <laughs> there's so much craziness going on. That you know, in our mind, that festival would be packed everywhere, but it really was like a mass migration. Converge is playing, let's go. Neurosis is playing, let's go. It was just like this herd of people. As you, I'm sure you probably remember, since you went there.
3: I mean, especially like in watching the the ten year lapse of time between when you guys you know stopped actively touring. And then started to do the spot dates, which you guys did, which you guys obviously continued to do. Now it is one of those things where it's like now it's obviously common for people to you know listen to basically every style of music possible, just because it's like I, I think there's just like two different classifications. There's like uh, independent music and kind of everything else, and mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no there's no delineation between that. No one gives a shit about. Um, you know, the, the, the huge divisions that obviously were created when the scene was, like, still trying to figure itself out.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and there's just so much music. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much. God damn, when MySpace, you know, first blew up, I remember just looking at all those bands, it's like, you don't have to do anything to be in a band anymore. You just got to start, start a page, you know, hope someone discovers you, you know what I mean? There's no getting out on the road, and it's like, there was so much noise. I remember looking through it, it was just like, how can you possibly even stand out now back in the 90s like in 93 94 when we first started there was a lot of hardcore bands but there were not thousands of hardcore bands you know what I mean it wasn't it wasn't the same kind of thing so um, we chat about that every once in a while we're curious if it's just the technology you know with the with uh, the Mac, Macintosh and you know or the, the pc and software and stuff as that's happened because again you know when we were doing that back in the day there was no Uh, Internet. There were no cell phones. Um, We had dialers, you know, that you put up against the thing, you know, for long-distance calls. And we had, you know, maps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Atlases. Yeah, exactly. So, like, so I feel like technology really did change a lot of that. And I feel like it really opened up, gosh, just, just, just an insane amount of bands and an insane amount of genres. You know what I mean? And, like, even hearing you say, you know, metal and hardcore, it's like there's now, like, multiple like versions of hardcore <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah and you know there's like at least 15 types of metal right. you know what I mean? whereas like even back then it was like metal hardcore you know yeah um, when we when we first did that first seven inch on the uh, single series for eric records our entire thing was that you know we wanted to be on a, on a metal label just because we wanted to it was different and um I remember Scott from uh, Bloodlet being like, dude, you're like the first one to do this. This is amazing. And it's like, it means nothing today because it's like you have metal labels that are doing all sorts of stuff like that. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And vice versa,
3: you know? Well, yeah, uh, no. The, the years that I worked at Century Media Records, it was one of those things true. where where I, because I, mean, I started working there in like around 2002 and it was one of those things where kept in touch with the Turmoil guys and it was the same true. sort of idea where it's like they had no... They had no place being on that label, and no one at the label had any idea what to do with that band. It was only until, like you said, it was years later where it was like, "Oh, I guess I get where they're coming from now." As opposed to like, "Oh yeah, what are we doing in '97? Who fucking knows?"
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I remember Turnwald was definitely one of the one of the big ones too. You know, that was on Century Media. Were they the first hardcore band in Century Media?
3: You had random ones like <laughs> Rikers from Germany. Um, you, you had ones that didn't really make an impact here in the States. Between Turmoil and like Ovi- Only Living Witness, those were kind of the uh, the bands that were like, oh, this isn't kind of your typical long hair Gosh. metal, so to speak. Yeah, You hit the point in regards to the low barrier of entry. Once people had more of an access to stuff, that's obviously what propagated millions of bands existing. The notion that I always find so quaint and telling of that time frame too is that you know even even in the the later 90s like i started going to shows whatever around 96 or so so i i I only had pictures of bands that existed either in zines or obviously on layouts so it's like you guys for example it's like i only had a very very vague knowledge of what you looked like and then when you guys show up i'm just like Oh, so that's what they look like. Like, you know, yeah. a bunch of yeah, yeah. B- bunch of dweeby <laughs> looking guys, like, okay, I get it.
1: I remember that I remember the first time I saw a picture of the bad brains I was like, Wait, they're black? <laughs> <didn't> know that. <laughs> you know? And yeah, no, no, you're totally right. And then and especially like not like uh told me if you used to do this, uh, oh uh I I'm, I'm looking for a new band, so I'm going to look at the thanks list on the band that I am, that I, my, my current favorite band. And that's how we found all those other bands. You know what I mean? It's like, that was, that was it. The thanks list was like so important, you know, to, to figure out like who was in the same genre because there was no, I didn't live in New York, you know? So I didn't, I don't, I don't know who any, who any of those people are, you know, I don't talk to anybody over there. There's, there's no, I mean, that thanks list was like the closest to like, you know, an advertisement of what's cool. You know what I mean? Totally. And that was—I remember that being a really big deal when we stopped doing thanks lists on Coalesce records. I remember having that conversation with Jess, and I was like, "Dude, the internet, okay, it's over. <laughs> People find their <laughs> own bands. You know what I mean? It just seems so silly. Yeah, it seems silly having a thanks list now with like a bazillion bands on it and stuff. It's like, but back then that was so important because they're like, "Please put me on your thanks list, you know, Ray Capo or whoever, because I put, you know, Joe Schmo and. You know, Kansas City, Missouri, to buy my record totally. and, and experience me too. You
3: know, no, totally. And I, I remember how important it was, and it still is to a certain extent. If you get up on stage and you you know Coalesce is going to play a show, if you Sean decide to wear a, a you know whatever a Neurosis T shirt, that advertisement of that endorsement is yeah. like ringing. You're like, oh dude, I've never heard of that, but what the, what's that shirt he's wearing? What's that what's that
1: thing? I, I got to find still- out. That still exists today. I sent a link on, I was, uh, I have a. I have a fake Facebook account that I uh, do marketing on for this bike project that I do. Okay. And uh, one of the one of the guys for some reason that I added, he liked um, some new super group with members of Mastodon. Oh yeah, Killer um, Killer Be Killed, I think. Yeah, Killer Be Killed. Yeah. That's the one. And the Dillinger Escape Plan guy, the the new singer or the, the singer <laughs> of Dillinger Escape Plan, he had Portishead shirt on.
2: Uh-huh. And
1: I'm looking at three hundred comments from this band sucks to you know, take all my money or, you know, or someone pimping their own stupid band that, you know, mm-hmm. he recorded himself. And then, but the biggest comment on that whole thing when Mastodon posted that was, cool shirt. I love the shirt, you know what I mean? And then <laughs> on are like, I'm going to check it out now. It's like, seriously? Right. 2014, you know who Portishead is? It? <laughs> like super, super insane. And I think that's Portishead, I'm pretty sure Portishead who is who was on it, but um, yeah. But you know, it was the. I think also too it was the contrast between like you know how heavy a band that is or, or how how rocking the band is versus like how austere you know Porus it is in in comparison. But, yeah. Um, no, but sure.
3: yeah. No, for
1: sure. Yeah, I know that totally reminded me of that because I remember looking at that and just being like, "That is the most so insane." I ended up just skimming the whole section, looking at the comments, you know, and like you know of what people say. And I was also surprised too, like how it seems like lately. I don't know if this is true or not. Maybe it's not. I hope it. I hope it's true. But it seems like the whole, like, everyone's a troll on the internet uh, on any kind of musical thing, any kind of music, uh, you know, band coming out or or new Mm -hmm. project, it seems like it's, like, really toned down a lot, too. Because I remember being on Lamgo, you know, like, heart flip, whatever, all the whole thing, you know, that they would do. I remember just, like, it was just, like, a contest to see how, like, ruthless and just, like, horrible you could be to people, you know. And so I just checked out of it, like, in, I guess it would probably be, Oh, eight, I just checked out and I, I didn't want anything to do with any of it, you know, because it didn't make me feel good, you know. Whether it's directed at me or somebody else, it's just, you know, I don't like it. So I don't, I don't, I don't need that in my life. And so I just left it behind. So seeing that now after not looking at those types of blogs and stuff, I was really surprised. Are you seeing that too? Or do you think people are, are still you know, out to destroy everybody's creativity, no matter.
3: Yeah. No matter what. No, no, that's, that's a very good question. I think it just, it proliferates it, just because there's so many places in which you can share your uh, opinion from that perspective. I mean, I think that the lowest common denominator would be looking at like YouTube comments. I think that's where, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you could look at the, the correlation between people that are put po- that were posting on lamb goat that, you know, it, it would be the amount of hate that's poured on something for every you know, twenty negative comments. You have one positive comment. But yeah, I just think it's like it proliferated all over the internet. So it's like maybe we just don't see it in one concentrated area. You maybe think about something uh, else in regards to you know, kind of like the, but well, not 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 the origin story of coalesced so to speak. But like you know, you, uh, I mean, it's been well documented and you've spoken about it in many interviews in regards to the uh, experience that you had. Obviously, uh, did you move from Kansas City to Syracuse and then back to Kansas City?
0: The show is sponsored by BetterHelp.
3: yeah, because I don't know, like I don't know where you were born and raised. Like it's one of those things where it's like,
1: well, yeah, Kansas City, and then I, as a kid I lived in Norman, Oklahoma, and then we moved back here to Kansas City, and then um, was actually put in school a year early, so I graduated when I was uh, seventeen. Okay as soon as my parents were going through a divorce and as soon as, as soon as I was done with school, I was just basically like, I'm out of here. I, okay. I want out of here. I don't want to be here. There was, I can't remember. I think it was Holocaust magazine, Jen and Chris, I think is, uh, I think that's their names, but they, it was one, two, seven Harvard place. It was across the street from one two nine, which is, uh, from Guave conviction records who got out the first, uh, earth crisis seven inch. Yep. And, um, you know, I just through zines and write, like literally writing handwritten letters with stamps and everything to these people. I just kind of befriended them and stuff. I was like, hey, look, I'm just looking to move. And they're like, well, we have a room. It's this much. I was like, well, shit, that's as good a place as anywhere. So, um, I, like, I remember it was the day after Christmas. Uh, actually, I think it was Christmas Day. Um, <laughs> I just packed all my, I was like, all right, I'm out. Packed everything up. And I just drove there overnight and got a job at um, Office um, Office Max. Oh yeah, and just went to as many shows as possible. Um, it was a really interesting experience, you know. I would do it again if I would, if I could go back in time. I wouldn't tell myself not to do it because I learned a lot from that experience, especially like how to deal with people, how to deal with extremes, right? And um, and just honestly, just how to deal with yourself and you know, and just like your job and, and you know, like a career and like <laughs> planning for family, you know, and like getting a, a life plan, you know. I think that was. I think that was one of the darkest times of my life. Well, not because of straight ads or shows or a uh, job or anything, but the, there, there was no, there just was no future. There was no plan. There was just no nothing. Mm-hmm. There was, there were no roots, you know. And that was like, uh, I didn't realize how important that was. Uh, I'm sure for some people it's no big deal, but for me, I just couldn't move someplace anywhere and um, make a go of it. You know, it's like I, you know, like I, I had to have those roots, you know, and family support and stuff. Uh, I was out there for. Um, I want to say four months, maybe. Oh, jeez! <laughs> uh, that,
3: like that's not a very uh, no, way, not long at all. Not yeah, the way of- that the way that you were speaking about it definitely made it sound like you know it was like maybe a good year or two before you realized how how low it got.
1: No, 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 no. I was out. I was only out there probably. Um, yeah, probably about four months and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I just I didn't have my act together, you know, and and you know, I mean, I was living with a bunch of hardline uh, you know weirdos. <laughs> right, <know>? right. 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 <laughs> literally read the ingredients list on you know or or read anything on the back of you know when I come home with my groceries to make sure that I'm you know vegan enough and stuff so yeah it's it's real it it was just real wild it's just it was just a very oppressive type of thing you know um that I got myself into and it's my own fault because that's I mean I can't fault them you know they didn't they didn't misrepresent themselves. They were Syracuse hardline vegan people, you know. <laughs> so it's my own fault. I thought that was me. I was seventeen, you know. It's like right. this is what I wanted to be. You know, it's like look, I want to, you know, I want to be socially conscious. You know, I care about the animals. I, you know, all this whole thing. You know, it's like what I want to be a part of. You know, so I threw myself into it one hundred percent. But it just, it just did where it wasn't me. You know, I discovered really quickly that that was not the type of environment for me so um i did move back to kansas city um and then it was weird because almost like the day i came back i went to a coalesce show <clears throat> when they had like a different senior it was a different band but it was essentially coalesce and uh and it was just like okay sean's back so he's joining the band let's go you know what i mean and it was like a, that was like kind of a real surreal experience too because it felt right when i got home all the pieces fit immediately as soon as I got home, whereas everything was jumbled and, um, you know, a lot of hurt feelings and misunderstanding and, and all that stuff when I was out there.
3: I mean, at that age, everybody is kind of trying to play a character that, that you read about or you get exposed
1: to. Well, or who you want to be, you right. know, so I want to be like Capital. I want to be like Carl Beaker. I want to be, yeah, you know, yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. And I have a, I have a 16 year old right now to me, holding, the ridiculous things that she says to me sometimes against her. Mm -hmm. Like, it's weird to think that I was that age when I was out there that my (laughs) daughter is now. And it's just like, I wouldn't hold a single thing against her because she's just trying to find herself, you know? So that's why it was always so wild. You know what I mean? That, um, you know, Sean sold out when he was, you know, 1920 or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just like, I was a kid and all those other people were kids too, you know? And it's just, it's just wild to take it, like, so seriously, like, on, like, uh, like a life-threatening level, yeah. you know what I mean, and it, it's just been a really, it's just a bit of a real big curiosity in my life, and um, sometimes I almost forget it ever happened, you know, and then I'll do an interview like this, and it all comes rushing back, and it's like, man, I remember we couldn't play Salt Lake City. I remember promoters calling us on the phone saying, I'm being intimidated by, or, or Monster Crew, or whoever, you right. know. The crew was at the time, and I remember being like, "Wait, what's a crew? What are you guys talking about?" You know, and then it comes out that police in these areas were treating crews like actual gangs, you know, because they were intimidating people and hurting them and um, destroying property and, and things like that. So it's it really is surreal because I don't know. I don't think that stuff exists anymore. I feel like I feel like money took all that stuff away. It's like there's money in this now.
3: You know, yeah, are, it's been
1: monetized, so it's not dangerous anymore.
3: I honestly never thought about it from that perspective. But it, it is interesting because it's like I definitely remember I, – I tried to get into Give Them Rope, but I just didn't – I didn't understand it. My brain couldn't comprehend it. And then functioning on patience was when I started to really, you know, dive into what it was that you guys were doing. And it was like – because it was very clear in the lyrical perspective that you were sharing, all those emotions that you're just talking about right now. And it – like, I mean, I – I was straight edge and I still am straight edge, but it was one of those things, like I, I always approached it from a very, um, I, I mean, for lack of a better term, like confrontational standpoint, like, you know, you do you, I'll do me, uh, you know, I, I, as long as you're not hurting yourself, then like I'm, but it was, yeah. uh, you know, I definitely felt that emotion that you were trying to convey of just like, th- there needs to be balance in this, in this perspective that you're trying to share, because ultimately, This lifestyle that is being led, no matter what it is, whether it's straight edge veganism, you know, philosophically speaking, religiously speaking, if people look at it and they're like, oh, that doesn't look cool. Like that looks, that looks like you said, the word oppressive is totally true. And no one's going to want to do that from like a long term perspective. If it's like, oh, dude, this is like, like, not only is it work, but this is like, I'm getting judged constantly. Like, why would anybody want that?
1: Yeah, it's, I, I, a lot of times, you know, I compare it to like, it is kind of like a pseudo religion. You know, it's, uh, there's not a lot of differences from, like, you know, an evangelical, like, type Christian setting, you know, being judged constantly and and all that, you know, in and, and that setting. Two things about that, though. Uh, <clears throat> my buddy, Dan Askew, the guy who owns uh, Second Nature record, mm-hmm. Records, that dude's been straight edge since day one. I've never seen that dude drink in my entire life. I've yeah. never heard of a cuss in my life, ever. Right. And he's still straight edge and he's still vegan to this day. I mean, he. It's his thing. It's awesome. You know, like nobody faults him. When I go out to eat with him, I'll go to vegan restaurants. I love vegan food. I love all that stuff. eat, like, you know, it, it, I don't, you know what I mean? I don't have like a hard feeling towards it. But as far as like how some people like have balance and stuff, Jess always uh, compared it like this. He says it's like a, um, it's like taking a beach ball and pushing it. The harder you push, if you slip once, you know, it just bursts out, you know, and it just explodes. Whereas if you know if you have balance, you know what I mean, you can hold it under control. It's it's very similar like that, and I feel like you know Dan was very much balanced. You know what I mean? It's like he didn't x up or you know have a million vegan T-shirts. You know right. he wasn't he wasn't the guy in the room who entered the room and let everybody know he was vegan. Uh, you know those types of thing. You know whereas like I was very different. It's like oh I'm vegan. I'm starting a vegan this. I'm doing a vegan that. You
2: know? Right. You know
1: it's like I'm militant. You know, and it was just a. Um, I mean, was, I was I was doomed to fail, from from, from the very beginning. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's so different than when someone does the same thing. I feel like I'm a Christian. I'm doing this, you know, you know, like uh, I don't know if you've seen the documentary Jesus Can. Oh yeah. You know? yeah. But they have like those kids and stuff. That's actually just here. That's like 20 minutes from me. And gosh, WBC is like 20 minutes west. You know, so I'm like right in the middle of like um, extremists. You
2: know, yeah,
1: yeah extremists on both ends you know from uh you know from the evangelical world but those kids are doing the same thing you know what i mean they're just pushing it so far you know what i mean and like i just really hope somebody will do the documentary follow-up to that you know six years after that <laughs> i just want to see where those kids are at yeah you know what I mean? it's like to me that's the interesting one you know what i mean it's like i already i already know what it, you know what i mean because it's like that's what everybody does you know yeah. when they're when they're young and, and, they, and they do things like that so, what
3: was your family structure like as you were growing up like you, you said your mom and dad got divorced when you were was it around 17 that they were getting divorced or was it a few years before that,
1: that was probably a few years before that they um, I mean yes yeah, it, it was a good family you know middle class um, you know suburb uh, south Kansas City mm-hmm. um, you know they seemed happy but um, there was like a point in time my dad went through a very stereotypical uh, midlife crisis got the little convertibles I mean just <laughs> Just the whole thing, the right. whole thing, just a textbook, you know, you know, and his infidelity really affected me and it affected our family like really poorly. It made my sister mad and it made me sad because I didn't understand why, like even at like, I guess it started like their divorce lasted a very long time. They got back together. Yeah. yeah. The real divorce happened like when my mom finally had enough, you know, so I want to say this all started when I was in seventh grade is, uh-huh. when, is when it first started uh, happening so, um, are you,
3: are you, are you an only child or do you have brothers and sisters?
1: Uh, I've got an older sister and I've got a younger sister, so okay. I'm, the, I'm the middle child. So it just affected everybody, you know, and, and to me, like he did that. It was, it was like he cheated on me, you know what I mean? Cause he had, you know, he had some girlfriend and she had a son and he was buying him like all these, you know, like toys and, and games and fireworks stuff that I was told, you know, fuck you, I'm not buying that. It costs money, those types of things. So it was like really weird to see that because it really was like he was cheating on the family because he kind of, like, accepted another family. So um, that caused, like, a huge uh, rift before us. But I was completely into skateboarding at that time. So, um, you know, me and Dan from Second Nature, I mean, we we were hardcore skaters. That's all we did. And at that point, I was just old enough that I had some friends that were older than me that had cars, and it was all about skating vert. That's all I did was skate vert, you know, for like those like next three years and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a town south of uh, of Grandview called uh, <clears throat> Raymore Peculiar is the, is the name of it. Anyways, there there's a vert ramp that a, a buddy of ours had out there, and then that's where we you know I mean that's where when we met like um, Dennis McCoy and Rick Thorne and all that skated their ramps with them and stuff. I mean that's just really rooted in not wanting to go home. Get out of the house, you know. It's like you, you get your clothes and you get the hell out of there because you don't want to hear your mom crying and you don't want to see your dad's.
3: You want to escape. You want.
2: You need <laughs> about about your problems and stuff like that. I, don't, I mean, I
1: never cried over it or anything. It's just you know, it was just one of those things to where you're just like, I don't want to be here. I'm going to go do my own thing. You know, right. that, you're really selfish when you're about that age, anyway. So it really worked out, you know. But um, but that also like led to why I got so hardcore into uh, straight-edge and stuff is because the guys I was hanging out with. You know, I mean, I mean, dude, I was doing drugs when I was like 13, 14, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I was just, I just was, you know, I was dropping acid. I was drunk all the time. You know, we would do, we would skate all day and then we'd drink all night. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even, I mean, as a kid, I wouldn't even tell my mom where, where I was, uh, you know, and just call her like three days later, just like not even come home and just be skateboarding, you know, like that, you know, and I was way too little for that. My yeah. kids, <laughs> You know,
3: be, you'd I mean, kill would kill your children.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> But that's just the way, that's just how, I mean, that's how extreme I went in that way, you know. And, and, and honestly, you know, the whole straight edge thing was swinging back the other way, but it went too far. And I remember being completely wasted on some drink called Cisco. It was just absolutely horrible stuff. Uh-huh. And, um, and uh, tripping on, uh, uh, on acid, too, and just literally stepping outside of my body and seeing myself and being like, what the fuck is wrong with you? This is ridiculous. And it was the next day that, like, I just stopped hanging around with those dudes, and um, you know, I knew what straight edge was, and I just because the BMX guys were always straight edge, like Rick Thorne and and uh, Woody, and um, uh, Dennis McCoy, Those dudes were always straight edge. Those guys, you know, introduced us to like all that CBGB, you know, matinee type stuff. You know, they were selling us their records, you know, uh, that they bought when they were out there. So anyway, so that's how I discovered it, and, and um, you know, and I just really threw myself into into it too much the other way basically
3: i presume most of this with all this as well you had no passions beyond like school or sports you were just basically like i like skating and then obviously music was opening up to you
1: well i was always an entrepreneur i but my parents never recognized it and um i'd love starting businesses and working businesses and forming them i'd love to Design and create products so much. Um, Maybe what, you- what was
3: some of the earlier stuff that you were doing? Because I I, lo- I definitely identify with that. Where I was like I just to give you a random example of a scheme. Because I call it a scheme because when you're in like elementary school and even junior high, like you don't have no fucking clue what you're doing. But I remember it was like I don't know fourth or fifth grade. I definitely got the idea to sell like whatever you know eight by ten glossies of what you, that you could essentially print out from like your home <laughs> printer of you know a sports star and then have my mom sign it like oh cool here's uh ryan sandberg from the chicago cubs like and i made up i made up some elaborate story that like my dad got the autograph somewhere and i'm like oh yeah i'll sell it to you for 10 bucks and then i think it was like the third day my mom was like uh what are you asking for these autographs for she thought it was just a cute little thing but then she's that i was like oh mom i'm selling these it's amazing she's like you can't do that so were, were you hustling like that too
1: no, I wasn't. Um, it, it was uh, whenever I saw something, I always dreamed of like owning things, but I never had the capital or anything. Uh, so I did zines, and I did skateboard zines and things like that. So I, that was the first thing that I created and started doing. Then I started uh, my own skateboard company called Reaction Skateboards, and that was actually after I had gotten into the hardcore thing. So they had artwork that had to do with hardcore and straight edge and, and stuff like that, Um but um, it wasn't until I got serious about, I mean, I'm a wallpaper hanger by trade, so that's what I did to support my family um, when we first got married. But I remember just being like, no, I want to screen print T-shirts because I know, I know what they cost and I can do this. And, I, you know, I know these people, I can do this. And so um, those are the types of businesses, you know, I mean, it, I didn't, I always wanted to do it, but it didn't actually develop until like later. Right. And so that's when I started. Um, my wife tells a story that she came home and I was like, "I bought, it, I bought a press. What? You've never mentioned this before." And I'm like, "No, mm-hmm. I've said this a million times." But the way I remember it is that I, I just uh, I borrowed 200 bucks. I bought this thing off of eBay when eBay was brand new, and um, I drove out to Denver and picked it up, and then I just started hustling um, and doing it that way, you know, and, and delivering a product and stuff. And the company's just grown. You know, leaps and bounds, obviously, since then, and right. uh, partnered with a lot of different people uh, over the years. So, um, you know, but I mean, it's really hard for me because I can never look at something and not figure out a way to monetize it. Right. You know what I mean? And except, that, except your band. No, that was the problem with the band. I love doing t-shirt designs. I I just love it. But the thing is, it's like, I love to make records. I love colors of vinyl. Mm-hmm. I love that stuff. I'm a consumer. Every bit is much as, as the consumers who buy vinyl and collect it and trade it are too. And that's that can either be really cool or can suck really bad. For me, it sucked really bad because the other guys in might be were not. Whereas if someone came to us and said, hey, we want you to play this fest. Maybe it doesn't sound like that much fun, but it makes this much money. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's play this fest we don't care about because I can take that money and I can make a 7 inch. You know, That's how my brain works, but theirs doesn't work like that. Their brain is like, you're making me play a fest I don't want to play, right. and so um, a lot of the the turmoil I was able to realize, you know, between the band, between me and Jess, you know, my anger with those guys or whatever over the years really stemmed from that. You know what I mean? It's it wasn't until I started Blue Collar and was able to do all these things I wanted to do with the with the band or, or whatnot, and I was able to do them and see that they were successful that you know I chilled out. So when we got back in 2005, it was a very different. Um, set up it was not Sean dragging everybody around hey we need to play this show we need to do this we should talk to this label or whatnot. Um, it was very different it was like whatever do you guys decide and majority rules it's very, it, was, it was very clean it was very simple
3: to be fair, probably because I identify with the role that you played in Coalesce was 100% the role that I played in all the bands that I was in as well, where you're going to need to have that sort of person with that drive. Because, I mean, realistically, if, it, if you if you didn't have that and it was sort of the, you know, democracy rule sort of thing, you wouldn't have had the output that you did in my estimation. You guys maybe would have had maybe two full lengths, maybe an EP, something like that. But, you know, sometimes, I... sometimes that sort of... Um, yeah, and sometimes it
1: does, you know, but I mean, but it really was where a lot of the, the schism came from.
2: Sure.
1: 02 definitely would not have existed. I mean, that record, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff on that record that we still like, but I mean, that record, what we had already broken up and we had right. signed a contract and we had received money. So it was very, I mean, it was very clear. It's like we owe a record. We need to go back in the studio. We went back in, not as friends, to make the record. And you know, and, and some good things happened and stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, who's to say what would and wouldn't happen? Yeah, you
3: no, it, it's all it's I, all hypothetical. So it's it's pointless yeah, to
1: say. But um, but I but I can absolutely say that the uh, I feel like I feel like the, the the main problem in the between the band dynamic really stemmed with me not being on the same page with them, um, and them wanting to do very fun and very creative and artistic things, and me very much wanting to push the band and see how far it could go because to the thought of being in a band is, it's to me it's just so absurd that I would be in a band, you know, cause I, I don't have any musical background. I don't have, right? N- nobody played anything. I, I mean, God, I mean, my first record was only a couple years before I started to join the band. I never was interested in it when all my buddies, you know, had like appetite for destruction and, 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 uh, and stuff like that. Like I, I could care less, you know, to me, music served only one purpose and that was background noise for skateboard videos. Right. You know what I mean? For sure. So me and Dan, you know, I mean, I remember specifically having cassette tapes. We would record cassette tapes off of, um, you know, like speed freaks or streets on fire, you know, all these Santa Cruz videos, you know uh, and that's what we would listen to. And so when we, you know, when iPods and stuff came around later on, I remember making the joke to Dan is like, man, in my head, I know exactly where every top tail popping on an ollie goes. I know where every wheel slide sound and every grind and everything is, you know, because like, that's how I learned all of those songs, all the old descendant songs, and you know, and, and stuff like that, um, you know, so, it, yeah, so... Yeah. To me, it's just for a while that that's how it ended up, you know, but.
3: Yeah. Something that I also think is is so distinctly geographically based with the Midwest, the the music that comes out of the Midwest. um, I mean, obviously you could argue that every locale has its own distinct mark, but I think that's something that's so unique about the Midwest in particular is that there is this real drive to make an impression Because everybody, obviously, from a cultural perspective goes like, oh, yeah, all the cool stuff happens in California or New York or whatever. Um, Obviously, you could make an argument that Chicago is also a part of that. But I definitely always got the impression that because you guys started out as, as a very unconventional band and you only got more unconventional as time went along, that there was some of that weird, like we're from the Midwest, we're from, you know, we're from a big city, but essentially people still have no idea where we actually are living, that there was sort of that element to be like, oh yeah, well, we're, we're making an impression. This is what, this is kind of what is happening in the Midwest, a bunch of weird shit.
1: I, I do remember back in the day when we did play those shows, it was always so exciting to see people stare at us and have no idea what's going on. Because, you know, someone would say, oh, it's a, it's heavy, something from the cornfield. They would never really say where it's from. The Flyers would always try to make some, like, silly pun or something like
2: that. <laughs> yeah.
1: But I remember being like, man, we're going to fuck this stage up. It's going to be so rad. <laughs> and, like, one of my fondest memories of the band is those early tours. Um, well, I wouldn't say so much went away, but I would say probably – the ones with like Converge going down the East coast and you know, uh, today's the day, those tours and stuff like that. And just going and like surprising ourselves and, and surprising people, you know, cause we're no one knew who we were yeah. and just being in the van and being like, did you see that dude that did this? Oh my God, did you see that girl? You know, and this guy said this and just, but you know, it's just so fun. It wasn't, it wasn't a chore at all. You know what I mean? We had all this energy from God knows where, you know, and, and we were doing it, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's very different than the late, than the later years, you know, like now it's just like, guys, I need my back pop so bad and I need some aspirin, you know, cause it's just, it's such a, a drain, you know, like what, you, what your body can withstand at 20 is so different than at 40. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, <laughs>
3: sure. Well, it, that, that's interesting too. Cause I definitely always, you know, even at some of the, you know, more, uh, wild shows that, you know, I watch you guys play it, it, there was always this element of like, you know, sort of battling against some level of indifference where it's like you felt this element of like pushing against you know the crowd where it's like okay like even though you may not understand us for the first couple songs like we're still we're going to be pummeling you like we're going to be challenging you to hopefully come along with us like in the same way that obviously like you know a opener of a of a a very you know popular stand-up comedian is like okay cool well i get to do 20 minutes before the headliner I, I got to really push against this. I got to really you know, do some, some sort of you know, leave an impression. And I'm, yeah. I'm sure there's elements of that within your guys' you – know, like, you, like you said, it wasn't a chore. It was just something you guys did.
1: Oh, yeah. You were so pumped. Absolutely. You know, we were just so pumped to get out there. You know? yeah. um, and even that last tour – there was a tour we just did. Who was that with? Oh, Harvey Milk. That tour blew our minds. Uh, we had no idea what to expect with them. And I'm just so in love with those guys. They, they brought that energy out of us again, like, in recent years, you know, and they're older guys, too, you know, and they're very mellow and they're very different, but when they're on stage, I mean, there's magic happening on stage with those guys, you know. When I listen to the records, I don't think that same magic necessarily, like, I don't think you can tell it's there on the records, but when you see it live, it is something else, and that was, like, such a cool thing because, like, I'm so old and jaded that I'm like, no, I'll never, you know, I've, I've, I've discovered the bands I'm going to discover that are going to be my favorites. or or whatever you know what I mean it's like I don't actively go out listening to music but when we went to them I was like I need to buy every single one of this band's records and I haven't felt that way since like I was a kid you know um and that was like a real big surprise I think for me too because you know we toured with all sorts of bands we toured with god we toured with tons of bands you know we played all sorts of festivals you know uh where like huge bands played you know great bands um you know underground bands and stuff but Nothing ever hit us like that. So um, I always thought that, that was really interesting too. You know, like there was just, there's just definitely something going on with those guys.
3: They're from the Midwest as well, right? I don't know. I know. For some reason, it's I was either thinking the Midwest Or, the,
1: Yeah, I don't think they're maybe Ohio. The bassist is like a chef in Brooklyn. And the drummer, I think, is from somewhere else because he's like the backup drummer for Dinosaur Junior.
3: Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh, yeah. They're, mid- they're originally from Georgia, though, I think.
1: Okay, that that,
3: that would make sense. sense. When, like, like you were mentioning, when you uh, obviously, since there was never any uh, idea that Coalesce was going to be a self-sufficient band and you know, like, make a living out of it. When, in the duration of the band, did you obviously decide to start a family, and then how did, and then Blue Collar Distro obviously was born of you just hustling and continually screen printing as that kind of all went along. But yeah, when did all when did all that stuff kind of come into play? Oh.
1: I think, I think going back to, like, you know, for my family unit, I just, I, I always wanted a family. I just, I knew I wanted a family. Every girl I dated, I wasn't looking for a girlfriend. I was looking for that, you know, kind of future wife. And it's, it's just the way I was built. And I met Chayla at, actually, at a cola show in Wichita. We just went to Wichita, and she just happened to be there because one of the opening bands, she was friends with one of the opening bands, um, singers or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she was not interested in Coalesce at all, which was, I was like, all right, this is the one for me, you know what I mean? <laughs> this one, this one will, will, will keep me in my place. Um, and we got married really early, so like we, I mean, really towards the beginning of the band, um, you know, I mean, the band was together and broke up so much, it's not like, I mean, looking back now, seeing how it all panned out, back then, it's like, I thought, you know, when the band ended, it was the end of the world for me at any point. So I was just, I was trying to move on with other stuff. You know, I mean, I always wanted, you know, always hoped Jess would call me and be like, we're doing it again, you know, but I was moving on with my life too. So I got married while the band was still together. It broke up immediately after we got married. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, we were on hiatus and we just kind of, you know, went back and forth. So, so really I've been married for like almost all of the time of the band.
3: Yeah. What? So, what? What age did you get married?
1: Um, I got married at I was nineteen or twenty.
3: Damn, dude, that that is a very Midwest uh, belief.
1: Yeah, for real. So yeah, yeah, we're still still happily married. We got four kids. You know, we got two boys and two uh, teenage uh, daughters. And you're doing it's it? Just, yeah, yeah. It was just meant to be. But yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it worked against each other. You know. So I mean, there was a. And they didn't, and the other guys at the band didn't understand. So, like, I was like, "Look, I can't go because you know I can't go work for no money because I have to pay for, you know, things like food. You know, I have kids now, you know, or whatever." I don't think the band members understood that. But when we got back together, and then they had kids, then it was it was unspoken, but they understood because they were asking for the same things I was asking for uh, in the beginning. And so, um, so that's really how we booked our tours, you know. And and luckily after omen 2 went out we were able to get more than 50 dollars a show you know right. so so it wasn't unreasonable to be like hey we can go on tour for a week and make the same amount of money we would have at our jobs we're not money ahead but we got to go out for a week and that, that's really what we did i mean that's, that's really you know what we what we um, yeah the, fun, sure,
3: there, there, the yeah there was a there was a function behind the design
1: yeah, well, yeah, and, and really, it was just like, you know, if someone asked us to go out with them, we're very clear and upfront. We need this much because this many people, you know, there's not four people we're supporting with this money. There's over 12. So, you know, it's like, we, this, this is the way it is. And if you can't afford that, then we're sorry and, and good luck. Uh, you know, a lot of bands were really gracious. You know, I would say probably the most gracious band we've ever worked with is Converge. Super gracious to us. You know, it was really nice to, you know, for bands like that to let us experience, you know, those types of shows, you know, yeah. with them. You know, uh, years later, you know, uh, being able to play California with a packed house, you know, those, those types of things. So Yeah.
3: Um, well, and yeah. It, it, it's cool, too, because you, you come at it from the perspective, too, where it's like so many people that obviously do the, the whole band thing have that as being such a central focus of their lives. Which you know it should be, and that's obviously you know an important part. But then, when the band comes to maybe not even a screeching halt, but when the band starts to you know wind down, where it's like okay, it's not self sufficient anymore, and I have to look for other things to do, becomes like maybe you know a year or two transition time of just like what the fuck do I do now? Yeah. Um, but you never had to experience that because you were busy building stuff in you know uh, in, in I did, har- harmony with the band.
2: I
1: did I did it at the beginning. I did it at the beginning because like uh, you know, like the first major breakup, like right when I first got married. Eric was courting us, you know, and it was just such a it was just such a cool thing that was happening in my life. And it was abruptly ended. And so and I there's a I actually tell the story in this uh, documentary called Twenty Seven Musicians, I think it's called. It's a documentary about the Kansas City music scene and different people, but they you don't they don't use the names of any of the people, but I'm, I'm in it on a couple spots. But the need to create and make something was so so hard that when we were living in uh, inner city Kansas City at the time during that first breakup, I had absolutely nothing to, to do, and I took up origami of all things just, just to have something to create and get my mind focused on something, because I was just driving nuts, I was pacing the floor, I didn't know what to do, I'd get mad at people, because, you know, they were take they took my band away from me, or, or whatever, you know what I mean, and that's what I ended up doing, and, but, so it took, it, it took some time, and again, it wasn't, and after that, shortly after that, is when I said, I'm just starting my own business, you know what I mean, and I'm going to pour everything into this, and this new business is going to be my new band, you know, this type of thing, but I'm not going to let it define me, you know what I mean, the, the idea that, you know, I'm sure you remember this, you know, back in the day, you know, my name would be Sean Coalesce and Dan would be Dan Second Nature. Everyone, whatever, whoever did was their last name, you know, when people refer to people and stuff. And like, um, you know, I think I probably enjoyed that back then in the 90s. But like, when it disappeared, I was just like, I don't ever want to do that again. I'm just Sean. And I just want to disappear and do my thing, you know what I mean? And be hacked. And so, um, I mean, there was a transition to learn there. But once the company was in place, it was much easier. It was much easier. You know, it, it something falls apart. Cool. I'm starting something new. Uh, and we would just, we would just move forward that way.
3: Yeah. And so then, um, as, as blue collar distro started to become, obviously, you know, your, your main, your job. And as the company started <laughs> to grow, I, I always say this to people that like, when obviously they start something, your goal is not to become a boss. But then you have to, like, learn how to become, you know, a manager and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so Yeah, I, I, I so I presume that was, like, an absolutely awful growing pain of you growing the business, I'm sure. It
1: was, it's, it's very different because, because the way I wanted maybe someone in the band to respond to me and work with me is exactly how an employee is looking to me to lead them. And I didn't realize that at first. And it, it, it is. It's a, it's, it's a learning curve you know, and, and learning how to not get angry, learning how to vet people, never hire your friends, um, know who to bring in as a partner of your company and not just a hourly. Cause you know, it's always important, you know, when you, it's always better to be partners with someone than competitors. Um, and so we just have a very, we have a lot of philosophies, you know, here, um, you know, I'm now partners with, uh, uh, with a guy named Burton Parker and um, Jim David who played introver- uh, bass for the anniversary. And uh, we've had partners that we've bought out over the years and stuff like that as, you know, as they moved off, it made more sense for us to have it. But um, yeah, taxes, geez. I mean, we got audited one year. That was like one of the worst experiences I ever had. <laughs> Ooh. One, of, one of the most, you know, one of the most educational experiences ever, you know? So, um, but, um, but yeah, you know, like on a daily basis, you know, and, and, and it's true that when, you know, when you hear like a boss say, look, you know, I may not be digging the ditch, but I'm mentally exhausted from looking 10 steps down the road. You know what I mean? And making sure that you have a ditch to dig. And that's very much what it's like here. And especially as it's grown more and we're doing bigger and bigger projects.
2: So,
3: Well, uh, yeah, that's which which is awesome that you've been able to like been there since the start, but then be able to watch it you know, permeate and grow and obviously get get all that horrible stuff thrown at you in order to be like, okay, well now I know how to do that. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I tell you. You know, and, and I tell you that the best teaching or the best education is losing money. You know, you lose you lose a thousand dollars, you will never make that mistake again. Yeah. You lose five hundred dollars, you will never make that mistake again. Someone telling you something oh isn't as effective as seeing your bank account you know, and not being able to do payroll or something like that. Not that we've ever had that problem, but like we've you know, we've lost money over the years of not checking our UPS bill close enough, you know, not checking our weight dimensions, you know just minutia, you know, and it's always it's always amazing how quickly you can lose five hundred bucks, you know (laughs) just just by not paying attention to one silly, you know, little thing, you know. So but that's why I love having partners because all three of us are looking at it. You know, we're all vetting each other all the time. We're all keeping each other accountable. Um, and to me, that's you know that's the best way to do it. And we are, we're also really laid back here, so yeah. Uh, you know what I mean?
3: Well, because I I presume you all kind of come from you know similar backgrounds in the sense that mm-hmm. I, I do I do think that there's something. There's something intrinsically and a shorthand understanding of like people that kinda are cut from the same cloth in regards to, you know, being creators of like independent art in some capacity. It like that DIY nature is like cliched as that term is, you can immediately plug yourself into a situation just be like, Oh yeah, yeah, like I know what you're talking about. You don't you yeah. don't need you don't need to Oh, where do I uh, where do I begin? To well, like I don't know, that's like punk and hardcore. I don't know, that doesn't mean anything. And it's like, oh, where do I begin? You know. But when you have that level of understanding, it's easier to, I guess, get stuff done because there's, you both have you know played in front of ten people in you know Wichita or whatever. Sure, sure. Um, I agree. The uh, the last thing I want to hit on was the it, yeah. you kind of alluded to it earlier in regards to the the notion that you know you have teenage daughters you have children that are growing up within you know w- within your uh, your supervision and you having the experiences of what you've had in regards to not only being involved in you know independent culture but you still are like you're still uh, you know a a person that is active within, you know, for lack of a better term, like youth culture and having those sort of like punk rock sensibilities and, and all that stuff, like the, is the parenting part just really kind of, you know, mind bending for you to be like, Oh dude, like I, I, I want, I need to discipline you for this, but I would have done the same exact thing. And like certain levels of understanding that might not have been afforded no, to you.
1: you no, you can never tell your kids that, that you've done it that way. Yeah. <laughs> We can't ever do that. You have to. You have to just. You know. Well, here's her I mean, we kind of have like two families. I have a 16 and a 14 year old girl. Though we, um, and then we waited several, several years. We didn't think we we're gonna have any more kids. And then now we have a seven and a five year old boy. So we have two older girls and two little boys. The two older girls, um, we homeschool all four of them. Um, the two older girls are doing great. They excel. Reagan, my oldest, she is um, hopelessly in love with roller derby. And I'm a roller derby dad that has her twice a week in Topeka doing these bouts and and training and stuff like that every year. And Hazel is a uh, stage makeup artist at 14. It's so weird that this is a thing. I didn't realize how important this was. But she's been recruited at 14 to work on, like, the main stage at at the Lord's Art Center uh, from just taking, like, a – silly little class that I paid for her to do. So, like, they, like, have their things. They're at 14 and 16. They've already planned out their lives. They know exactly who they're going to marry. You know what I mean? They, they, they've got this, and they're good kids. They're not boy crazy. they got good head on their shoulders. Yeah. So they, we did a really good job with them. My boys, on the other hand, are total terrors. They are just absolutely bonkers. They, uh, they need constant discipline. You know what I mean, and they need tons of love too. You know, so we are just always on top of them. You know, and it's it's like it's like everyone is parenting the boys sometimes. You know, because they're so they're so full of it, and it's just such a it's just such an interesting dynamic because I the stuff that my boys do, my girls never did. You know what I mean? It's like my girls never pulled their pants down and 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 peed on a uh, you know uh, an earth day parade uh, rolling by in front of them. You know, right. and side of everybody. These are not the things that my girls did, but these are the things that my boys do.
2: Right.
1: You know, I mean, they just think they're so hilarious. <laughs> they just, you know, and some of the stuff they do is hilarious, but it's just so hard not to laugh at them. You right. know, you just have to be stirred, you know, and just not give them an inch, you know. Yeah. Um, but you it's to, and it's just different too because my girls, you know, they have little DSs and they played them, and when they were done with them, then they put them up. My boys are absolutely obsessed with. Minecraft and, and Legos and building things, which is awesome, so I wanted to foster that. But something about the video game system, um, they, uh, Ozzy, you know, he's five, he would tell me this, he says, Dad, I play the game so much sometimes I can't tell if I'm in the game or not. And that's like, I was like, what? what? How, how often do you play it? They only get to play it on Saturday, but they play too much and they get too enveloped in it. And one day, uh, Ozzy and Max got in a fight, and uh, he threw the controller and smashed the TV screen. And um, I never did anything like that. Man, my dad would fucking kill me if I busted the TV back in the day. You know what I mean? Right. But like to me, I was almost like thankful. I was like, oh, think you know, this is disappearing now, guys. You know, kissing goodbye, and they cried and they mourned over it for a couple weeks. But they have like come back. You know what I mean? To where you know. So I always thought that was really interesting. I always heard people complain about video games. Video games, right brain, right, this and that. I don't, I don't believe that. But I believe some kids just can't control, like uh, how impulsive. Yeah, sure. yeah, the impulse or whatever. And my boys are two of those people, you know. And so it was just like, it's just fascinating, you know, it's just how different, how different they are.
3: Your experience is also unique in regards to like you were alluding to earlier with the idea that like you always wanted a family and. You know, since you got married at a very early age, relatively speaking to most people that are involved in, you know, independent music, it's like, you know, most people in independent music, they're like, once once they hit 30, they're like, all right, maybe I'll think about settling down. And then maybe in five years, I'll have kids. So you definitely have a more unique experience because you had that vision you know earlier on in your life as opposed to later on so
1: which is I can't, I can't imagine trying to keep up with a little kid at 40 you know what i mean <laughs> at five you know but yeah no but i mean to me it's like it's all about the kids you know what i mean you know if i fall over from a heart attack tomorrow you know honestly who cares about cole s it's like those those kids are my legacy you know what i mean so so uh, if you look at it that way i mean it's it's they're like so important to me you yeah. know besides the fact that I love them so much. But, you know, I mean, it's like, so I want to put everything into them. I want them to do cool stuff. You know, I want them to, you know, I don't want them to look at things. I don't want them to color inside the lines and do all those things. But I also want them to know when to be cool and when to cut loose. <laughs> because yeah. right now they know how to cut lose, you know. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, and honestly, it's the hardest thing in the world. Parenting is like the worst because you, you have no clue if what you're doing is right or wrong. You know what I mean? And, like, and you know, Reagan gets in a fight with us or something. She's mad at us. She'll let us know what we did wrong. <laughs> you right. Know? right. Yeah, and it's like, oh, man, that hurts so bad. You have no idea how much that things... Because, you know, we had no clue. I mean, we were so young, you know? And right. even looking at our pictures, I'm just like, dude, who would have sent... Who let us take those babies home? We're like babies ourselves. Yeah. You know, just looking at the pictures of us, it's just too young, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: no. Well, I, I think that's... I mean... That's a very sweet notion in regards to, like, like you said, because people always reflect on, you know, legacy. Like once, once you hit a certain age, there's definitely that element of like, oh, what what impact have I made, even on on a small scale? But then, yeah, like it's not, you're not gonna reflect on like, rad. I put out. Seven LPs and a few, you know, yeah. EPs. You'd be like, no, like I have these I did
1: colored vinyl. I did this record on colored vinyl with a hand numbered this. Who cares? Right. It's on eBay for a dollar. You know, so it's like, yeah, you know, it's right. You know, and I, I feel like anybody in a band, like or a singer, someone who's really pushing their band, if they say they don't think like that it, to some degree, I think they're, I think they're lying because, because I mean, you are building this thing, and man, it is, it is so cool. With like a band, it's so cool to see the lives you touch, you know, the people who contact you. Oh, your band got me through high school. I'm sure every every band member has heard that from someone and whatnot, you know, and it feels cool and you think you've created something and, and and I think every band member should be proud of that and stuff. But but when it gets down to it, I've, I'm i in the unique position that my my band has it. Well, it's not unique, but I'm in the positions where my band hasn't put anything out. So when someone mentions Coal S, so, you know, more often than not you hear Coal who's Coal right. you know what I mean? So it's been long enough, it's been the generation, you know, we haven't been around for those other generations, you know, where people think of us as an old band or something like that. So you see, like, how fleeting that is. Yeah. Now, there's always the hope that someone will discover you later on down the road, you know, like they did, Oh, like some of these awesome documentaries that are coming out where they find these amazing bands that kicked so much ass but didn't get major recognition back in the day yeah. uh, What the sugar man. And then also death uh, death. Yeah. yeah. The band called death. Those I mean, that would be like the coolest thing too. I think, for, I think any band would be so stoked to have that happen to them too, but it's not a reality. It's like, that's like a lottery right. draw. You know what I mean? So like, like your legacy really is your kids. You know what I mean? Um, and it's always interesting because I always tell my dad that it's like, Hey, you want to see your boys, right? You know, this, this is it. He's like, oh uh, yeah, okay, you know. I was just like, what, really? It's like this is, this is it. They want to play football. They want to do the things that I could could have cared less about as a kid, you know, <laughs> with you and stuff, you know. So um, yeah. sometimes, sometimes dudes just need reminding of that too. I think. You
3: know? so. Yeah, no, no, that's awesome. Well, I really appreciate you hanging out, Sean, and thank you for uh, sure. for walking me through all that and all the different mentalities. I, I wasn't expecting you to be closed off at all, but you were you were very open,
2: and I appreciate that. Oh no problem.
3: There you have it. That is my conversation with Sean. Thank you for listening. Like I said, at the very end, when he was talking about his his legacy, you know, like what he is proud of. And he's like, Coalesce doesn't mean shit. It's like my kids. And it's like for a person, no matter what stage in your life, to kind of realize that the, the finite nature of the creative output that we we put in there, it's awesome, and it's so cool that people can use that as a touchstone. Uh, but there's obviously a lot of other tangible things that you can do in your life that are just so uh, rewarding, for lack of a better term. And of course, I my perception is skewed because I myself have a three year old son. And you know, if the podcast and all the bands I played in and all the music industry stuff I've done goes away, and I have my son, I'm like, that's successful. <laughs> so it was just a, a really a cool thing to hear from a person to just you know like Sean to put that out there and so it was cool. Anyways, the producer and confidant and friend of the show, Tom Richfield, as always he does a stellar job and I'm paying him now. And that feels so good to just give him give him some money. Here dude, here's some here's some eternal gratitude in the form of financial compensation. So because of you the listener, I am able to do that. And also my job and my wife agreeing to let me do that. So (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, uh, until next week, be safe, everybody. And here's a little tease. We have uh, no theme month during July, uh, but there is some really, really exciting things coming up for the show. There's some great stuff, not only the guests, but some some business, behind-the-scenes stuff that's happening. So I can't wait to announce it to all of you. It'll be exciting. But, uh, yeah, the guest next week is Sasha Dunnable. Dunnable? Dunnable? Yeah i always do that i have to say a person's last name like 10 times before i feel like i have a grasp at it but uh sasha plays in a band called intronaut and he also does his own guitar company i'm doing a ton of interviews today at warp tour so who knows what you'll get you'll get some cool stuff i know that for sure so anyways until next week be safe everybody